2 Timothy chapter number 2. Tonight I want to preach on a very, very, I think, important subject. Second Timothy chapter number 2. I'm going to preach tonight on fathers and the future of our church. Fathers and the future of our church. Read Second Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. It appears to me the Apostle Paul loved using family terminology metaphorically to express his relationship with Timothy. That's why he says in chapter 2 verse 1 he says, Thou therefore my son. He was not physically or biologically his father. But he often referred to him as my son. For example, look in chapter number 1 and verse number 2. He says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Now to clear that up, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 2, he says unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And about Timothy... He said in the book of Philippians, as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Implying that fathers and sons should work together. We live in, a, in, a, in, a, in this western society and we try to divide families up and send them in their separate ways. But that's not the way it's always been. Usually there's been a father, a grandfather and a father and a son and a grandson that has taken the family farm or taken the family business and carried it forward. And that's why he makes reference to this. He said, as as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. And so here we have in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Thou therefore my son, and our text seems to be, that Paul seems to be thinking of the future of the church and its perpetuity. And he says in verse 1, he says, Son, he said, you're going to have to be strong. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said, you're going to have to be strong, but not only are you going to have to be strong, you're going to have to find some strong men to develop and commit the future of the church to. Independent Baptist churches are dying all over America. They're shrinking up. In chapter 2, verse number 2, the scripture says, He says, I want you to be strong, and I want you to find some strong men. I want you to be an example. And he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So you see, the perpetuity of the church here is what is implied. That it goes on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Why would we encourage you to give in order to remodel or build if what we have is not going to be protected? And if it's not going to be preached and promoted in the next generation. Amen? So if I'm going to invest in something, I want to invest in something that's going to be what it is today except improving it down the road. 
I don't want it to go the other direction. And so in order for that not to happen, there has to be good men. Good men. Faithful men. Fathers. And the Bible says in verse 3, he says, son... He said, I need you to have a warrior's mentality. I need you to take on a soldier's mentality, a warrior's mentality, and fight the good fight. And he says in verse number 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 18 of the first Timothy letter that he wrote, he said, I want you to war a good warfare. So what we're engaged in here is a battle our church, not, not among ourselves, but against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have an enemy that is relentless and ruthless. Now listen, ladies, the balance here is that Paul often mentions faithful men, but also faithful women and the work of God. And women sustain much of the work of God. As it goes on, Paul has no problem commending the women at the end of his letters of how much they helped him in the gospel. They are such a vital, vital, important part, and they give so much to it. But men, this is God's way, but men will determine the direction and the destiny of a local assembly. I saw the news for just a moment on June the 15th. Fox News carried a segment about the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention had voted that only men should pastor a local church. They were to be commended for their courage. They agreed also to remove churches from their convention who presently today have women pastors including a large church in California that was established by Rick Warren, the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. And I have said for a long time, he's one of the greatest false prophets in America. He has undone and has done more harm to the local assembly than many other movements have done and dismantled some godly and faithful traditions that were handed down to our churches. But they also excluded his church. And so a woman reporter interviewed a woman Southern Baptist pastor. She was there at the convention. And they asked her what did she think about the ruling of the convention of saying that women could no longer pastor and be a part of the, and their church be a part of the Southern Baptist convention. And I knew what she was going to say and she said what I knew she would say. She said basically women are sent the signal by the Southern Baptist that they don't matter. I said, well, that's a lie, number one. And she said that they're not important. I said, well, that's lie number two. And that their gifts are wasted. I said, well, that's lie number three. So I'm saying to you men, that if you're going to step up and lead and be good fathers and help this church to go forward, are you prepared to be spoken evil of? And to be slandered. And to be considered hateful and intolerant and bigoted 
and uh, whatever you want to put in front of uh, phobia. And to our fathers and our grandfathers and to our young men who one day will be fathers, Paul is saying to Timothy, I need you to get these men, encourage these men to be, number one, a warrior, but a good warrior, a good soldier. Verse 3, he says, I want you to be a good soldier. And I want to encourage you men. I'm going to give you some thoughts here tonight. Please listen carefully. I mean what I say. I've meditated on this. I mean everything I'm saying, and I mean it graciously and kindly, but truthfully. I didn't make up the rules, but I'm going to stand by the Word of God on these matters. And I think that men are looking for men to stand. I think men in the pew are looking for men in the pulpit to stand. As well as men in the pew in the pulpit are looking for men in the pew to stand. So let's stand together. Amen? Let's stand together. Not ladies, not against you. You are not our enemy. You are our friend. You are our, you are our partners in the ministry. Right. We believe you are valuable. We believe that you are gifted. Amen. We believe that without you, we cannot get done what needs to be done. That's right. I believe that sincerely. But you do. If you're a godly woman and you're a good woman, you want your man to lead. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to follow a parked car. So number one, if you're taking notes, be a good warrior. Verse three, be a good soldier. Be a good warrior of Jesus Christ. The war is on and it's raging. You cannot be passive and lazy and negligent about what I'm talking about tonight. You just can't. We can't afford that. You must become engaged and make an effort to be a part of the solution. And what I mean by that is passivity and neglect allows things to happen and to develop. Our White House, our courthouse, our schoolhouse, and our church houses are in an absolute mess. Because some of our houses are in a mess. Isaiah said that when men are passive as fathers and leaders and soldiers in the church... When they are passive, when you just simply don't get engaged, when you just simply stand on the sideline and watch, you cheer on others, but you yourself never get in the game or the battle or the fight. You're not against us, you just don't help us. Well, if you don't help us, you're against us. Amen. Isaiah said that the judgment of God upon a nation is when you have passive men, and that leads to pampered children. And that leads to progressive women. And the pastor should never have to deal with an unruly child at church. A pastor should never have to deal with an unruly woman at church if she's married. Amen. Amen. Joshua said, I don't know about the rest of you boys. He said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So Joshua and Caleb said, we're not going to be passive. We're going to be part of the solution. So, number two, be a good warrior, number one. Number two, 
let's look at our text. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look there. Let's not only be a good warrior, but let's be a prayer warrior. Nothing gets done much without prayer. And you're going to have to be a prayer warrior. If God's going to do anything at East River, if God's going to help us go forward, it's going to be because of the prayers of the saints. If there's ever a good sermon that's preached that is effective, it's because somebody spent some time in prayer. If folks get saved or folks start signing up to serve, it's because somebody has been engaged in prayer. The angels of God become active in the book of Acts when the people of God begin to pray. The spirit world becomes active when you are engaged in prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at this. This is for men. This is for the fathers. Let me encourage you here specifically. God speaks to the men and to the women here. But he says in verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, that's got to be uh, your priority. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, what did you do first? Well, first of all, I prayed about it. What was the first thing you did when you got up? You prayed about it. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Many battles are won in the prayer room. Did you know that? Many battles are won in the prayer room. When they went into Iraq years ago to fight, one of the first things that they wanted to do was knock out communication. Knock out communication. So that their leaders could not communicate to the soldiers. The adversary is just as smart. He wants to knock out your communication from headquarters. You are leading by example in your home, fellas, by default. Meaning, you are, you are either teaching dependence upon God or independence from God in your prayers at home. Did you hear what I just said? In other words, dependence, meaning that when there's something going on, or even just on a regular basis, do, they, do your children ever see or hear you as a man verbally talk to God? You say, well, I, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. I didn't ask you what you were comfortable with. And I could get in the flesh right here and say some stuff that's ugly to provoke you, but I don't think that would be wise. But I want to. I'm just saying quit living in the comfort zone and get into the war zone. Do your children hear you pray? Do they know that daddy depends on God in prayer for his job, for his health, for his mother, for his wife, for their mother? And for the needs and for whatever's going on in their life. Because dependent prayer, prayer is, a, is an example of humility. It means I don't have all the answers and I need God's help. Do you ever say, let's pray about it? Do you ever say, hey, let's gather around, let's pray tonight? If you're a grandfather and when your grandsons and your granddaughters are over at the house, do you ever gather them around and say, hey, let's pray before we go to bed tonight? Let's talk to God tonight. But now that lack of prayer, that's independence. That's pride. That's saying, I really can handle this on my own. 
Now listen, there are some things God wants me to handle on my own. But not everything. And I need God to help me and I want to pray about that. So let others see it and hear it. And when you go out to a restaurant, I'm not talking about putting on a show. I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm not talking about being vain. I'm talking about having already established the fact if you don't pray at home around the table, why would you pray at the restaurant around the table? You're just putting on a show. Right? But pray around the table at the house. You say, well, Brother Roger, they just won't be still. They won't be quiet. I put a knot on their heads. I mean, I mean, uh, you can, you can do this and you got to try you got to try. I know sometimes some of them are more active than others. I know that. But we're talking here now about you being an example in prayer. And look, look carefully what he says here. He says that you need to pray for kings. Now they hear you talk about the president. Or do they ever hear you pray for the president? And for all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and possibly and, and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. He said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. He said, I want you to pray about these things. And look in verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Would that include home? Would that include church? I will that every man pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We need some prayer warriors here. If we're going to do anything for God, we have to have some prayer warriors. And God has blessed this church over the years because men and women in this congregation have prayed. Have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And God has answered those prayers and blessed us and protected us and moved us forward. And then the third thing I want you to see here. It's not only be a good warrior and be a prayer warrior, but be a strong and steadfast warrior. Look in chapter 2, verse number 8, and down through verse number 12. Listen carefully to this, because I don't want to lose you on this. I'm reading it in its text, and I'm going to teach the truth out of it, gently but firmly. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, I will therefore, that's the prayer, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner. Also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. The implication here now is for men, faithful men, to be prayer warriors. And for men to remain in their place and to lead their families 
and to be strong and steadfast in that leadership because good women, and he's, he's basically asking the women here, or should I say telling the women here, he said, listen, I know that you love God. I know you pray about things. But what I need you to do is that sometimes that when men leave a vacuum, be, be careful, but stay in your place. Stay in your place. Because when men are passive, you're going to be tempted to step up and lead and rule and teach and preach and pastor. Because men are not. And so what you have here is like Abigail, when Nabal was about to wreck the family, she said, man, i got to do something here. We're fixing to get wiped off the map. And so she had to step up and intervene and lead because her husband would not. And so you have to be careful, ladies, because it is a trap. It's a trap. And it's not that some of you are not smarter than us. It's not that some of you cannot discern some things and, and teach some truths. It is that God has ordained a certain way of doing things that does not promote confusion in the house of God. And so if you'll notice something here, men have to, first of all, know their place. If you're going to help somebody else stay in their place, you're going to have to know your place and you're going to have to stay in it. And not leave it. For example, chapter 3, look in verse number 4. Leadership in the church, do you agree, are supposed to set examples for others to follow. So chapter 3, verse 4 says, if that man desires to be a pastor, well, that's a good thing, of course, verse 5. But if a man know not how to, what's the next word? Rule. His own house. How shall he take care of the church of God? Okay? So, good leadership in a church is a man that knows how not only to rule his house, but to rule his own house well. That means balanced. Not just being in authority. Look in verse 12. If a man desires to be a deacon, leadership again, men in the congregation. Verse 12. And it doesn't say deaconesses. I know how folks like to play with the English and go to the Greek to define what they want to do. You always have to change scripture to find your place. If you have no final authority, then everything goes. The Bible says here in verse 12, let the husbands, excuse me, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling well, excuse me, ruling their children and their own houses well. So there are men here who God has ordained and used in leadership, and we'll say leadership, who know their place and who rule their homes well. Keep your hand where you are. We're going to come back to it. Would you look with me in 1 Corinthians 11? 1 Corinthians 11. I know that we live in a society that absolutely despises and hates what I'm saying tonight. But fellas, if you want this church to go forward and if you want it things that are that, that are good to remain, 
You cannot be passive. 1 Corinthians 11. Very simple. Very plain here. Look what he says here. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. He says, But I would have you know, I would have you know, that the head of every man is Christ. Fellas, do you have a head? Are you under authority? Absolutely you are. You are a Lord under a Lord. You're a little L though. He's a big L. And he says here, look at this now. He says, and the head of the woman. The head of the woman is the man. And ladies, if young ladies, if you do not, if you despise that, you wish not for that to be, please don't get married. Please don't do that to a fella. Oh, is he going to be your house husband while you work and he going to take care of the babies while you're at work? You say, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Well, you won't like it at the end. I promise you. And the Bible says the head of the woman is the man. And then he says the head of Christ is God. Isn't that something? So Christ is my head and yet he is teaching me how to subject myself. He is not asking me to do anything that he himself has not done. He is yielding to the authority that's over him. His father. He said, I'm not going to do my will. I'm going to do his will. And when he looked at those 12 men, he said, fellas, we're not going to do your will either. We're not going to do my will and we're not going to do your will. We're going to do his will. And a father has to do that. He has to look at his wife and say, honey, we're not going to do my will. But we're not going to do your will either. Or their will. We're going to do His will in this situation. That's where you step up. That's where you step up. All right. Now, if you will, go back to to 1 Timothy, if you would, with me. Y'all still listening? All right. Now, look with me in chapter number 2. Be strong and steadfast as a warrior. Some men absolutely love the idea of being in authority and having a position of ruling and being called Lord, but they have no idea that that is not as much about authority as it is about responsibility. Responsibility. It weighs upon a leader. If a man is a leader, things weigh upon his heart and his mind because he cares about those who are under him. And he says here about men... He says in verse 8, I want you to stay in your place. You stay right with God. Verse 8 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy. You stay right with God. You be able to have a clean path with God in your prayer life. He said you be able to lift up holy hands and you, you don't have a heart full of wrath and anger. And don't you doubt the word of God. You stay in your place. And then he warns the ladies about usurping that. That word usurp means that you encroach upon and you infringe upon the domain that belongs to someone else. Did you hear that? And the Lord says, I would not that a woman usurp authority over the man. That's pretty black and white. So fellas, don't fall asleep at the wheel and then get upset when you wake up and her hands are on the wheel. Don't do that. We heard that this morning about discernment. Listen to it. But stay in your place. Stay in your place. 
Know your place, first of all, and then stay in your place. But then use your place. Authority is for edification. Leadership is about responsibility. A couple of things here in this passage. You, as a man, as a father, as a grandfather, are designed by God to protect your family. Verse 9. A man that's been in the prayer closet in verse number 8 is aware that he must protect his family from a lust-filled society. Did you hear what I just said? I'm, I'm wondering if you are. Are you receiving what I just said? Well, where'd you get that? Well, he says in verse 9, In like manner also women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And men are to help them understand when what they're wearing and what they're doing is immodest. Yes, sir. Should never, a, a pastor should never have to preach very much upon what you're wearing and not wearing. That's not up to him. He is to teach the principles and the men are to take those principles and take them home and say, Hey, that's, that's too tight, that's too short, that's too low, that's too much. Amen. He said, well, I don't want any conflict with that teenage girl now. She don't see it that way. Could you at least remain in your place? Why are you letting her drive the bus? I'm not saying this won't be without resistance. That's why it's called a war. Because you see, social media, when you give a girl or a boy a phone and you get them hooked up to the internet, you have opened up a whole new world of temptation, of vanity, of shamelessness, of wickedness. There is no shame. And they see these girls and they see these boys doing things and they say, man, you know, I, I, I would love to be a part of that. And then they want a thousand likes because they have revealed what the Bible refers to as their secret parts. Secret parts are to remain secret. That's right. Except in marriage. You say, that's pretty plain. But you understood it, didn't you? Yes, sir. So he says here in verse number 9 that men, good men, need to stay in their place. And protect their women and their girls and their boys from a lust-filled society. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. He's talking about not overdoing it, not overkill. In your dress code. And a woman that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit in prayer is aware that men's eyes are filled with lust. And so the scripture here says that men are to stay in their place and help their women folk from becoming a progressive and aggressive and destructive. We live in a very feministic society where masculinity is considered to be toxic and dangerous. Our government is going to pass laws if they haven't already passed some, that will consider things like this to be intolerant and hateful 
and biased and bigoted. And may at some point down the road remove from us the ability to have tax-free status. Things of that nature in order to silence us and to hurt us. The IRS will come after men and women who are conservative in their beliefs, their philosophies. Some of our folks have already been attacked by the IRS. They don't, they don't trouble liberals as much as they do conservatives. And so there is a war that's going on here. And I'm encouraging you by the grace of God that you would be a man, be a soldier, be a good soldier, be a prayer warrior. And stay in your place, but use your place, please. Help us. The internet, the social media, Hollywood, desires to undress your children and to pervert your children and to defile your children. When they have drag queens at the library to, or to teach your children and tell them stories, and if, and if you oppose that, you're the bad guy. If somebody comes across the border and breaks into your house and tries to rape your daughter and you shoot him dead, you're the bad guy. That's where we are in society. Being a man these days is becoming a dying breed. But I pray tonight that you would see the necessity of these things. Did you know according to verse number 11, women seem to have, and if you're watching, and I've studied this, that women are graduating from college at a much higher rate than men are today. And women have a thirst for knowledge. And, and they have great minds. As a matter of fact, they usually, uh, I've, I've had a Christian school and I've watched others. I mean, kids, man, the girls can just go so much faster sometimes intellectually and learning things, but not necessarily in maturity. But intellectually, they can bypass a guy in no time. And you know why Elmer Fudd's still trying to figure out what 2 plus 2 is? She's already doing algebra. You, you get my point there, don't you? But ladies, that's, that's where Satan went after Eve. He said, wouldn't you like to know more and more and more and more? And you don't need God for it. Look what he says in verse 11. He's not opposed to you learning. He's let, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But she needs to stay in her place. Let the men lead. Again, I say it again without apology. A woman cannot follow a parked car. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, for I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the men, but to be in silence. Have you noticed anything about East River when you come? Have you noticed that we promote male leadership? Have you noticed that in the classes that Brother Dwayne has done a good job of trying to get uh, couples there uh, in the classes, or at least a couple of men in some of the classes? You know, he's trying to promote that. Now, we do believe that ladies have their place, and especially with the younger children. But as young men begin to grow up, they need some male influence in their lives. They need that. And they need to see young men that work hard and sweat and work during the week come in and open up the Bible and say, I believe in God, I'll stand for God, I'll live for God. They need to see that and hear that. 
So these things are important. I need to hurry here. I need you to look in chapter 5 with me, please. You use your place, ladies. Again, say, Brother Rod, you just don't like women. Uh, excuse me. I married one. I love her. I love my sister. I love my four daughters. I like my granddaughter. No. No, I love her. She's my favorite granddaughter. But you understand, I have no none of this. Listen, I thank God for you women. Many times, sometimes the Holy Ghost speaks to your heart about doing some things and your husband takes your suggestion and follows up on it. Man, I appreciate you being sensitive to the Lord and your husband not being so insecure that he can't hear some of the thoughts that you have to say to him about some of those things. He's not asking you not to be a part of it. He's just asking you not to push him out of the driver's seat. While he's trying to drive. That's all. I mean, if you're going down the road, she gets up there beside you and texts him and says, you know, how long are we going to go the wrong way, dear? You, got my, you get my point there, right? But the Bible says here, look with me in chapter 5. God wants a man to teach and lead his family. And in church, men lead and teach the Word of God. Chapter 5. Stay in your place, but use your place and help us with this. I'm counting on you to do this. The Bible says if a woman even has a question, who should she ask first? She should ask her husband. She should ask her husband first. If he says, go ask the preacher, then I'm good with that. But I would like you to, your husband to know that I'm talking with you. Amen? Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. And in 1, Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, I need you to show you some simple things right here. What I need you to do is men, to heat, to teach, and to help. These things are implied here that your home strengthens the church, and the church doesn't have to deal with these things because it's already being taught at home. Chapter 5, verse 1, one of the things you teach at home is respect. He said, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. These young men, like these young men here on the front pew and brother Jason when he walks up to me he shakes my hand and he's very very respectful where does he learn that from he learns that at home these little boys that are growing up they tickle me to death sometimes they'll put their hand in mine and if it feels like a if it feels like a dish rag I say hold on boy I said you squeeze my hand you look me in the eye and you say good morning you say, that's a little thing. No. Well, it may be little, but it's starting in the right direction. Amen. Amen. And it starts at home. Little Matthew, buyer. He's a little guy. Little wiry guy. He'll squeeze your hand off. Somebody's taught him how to shake. Might have been his sister. Kate, I don't know. She's pretty strong. <laughs> no, I know Brother Kevin's done that. That's what he wants. And when Peyton walks up to you, you don't have to worry about him being dis- disrespectful, do you? When I run into your son, Sam... He's always very, very, very respectful to authority. When I see your son, every time I see him, he's always very, very respectful. You learn that at home. And the Bible says that you teach that at home of how to be respectful. And it doesn't have to be taught at church, but it comes from dads and moms. It's okay to continue to say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. But you'll notice also, he says, in verse number two, you teach them restraint. 
He said the elder women as mothers, the younger women as sisters with all purity. Why would he say that? Because there's certain behavior. Okay? In other words, guys, you know, you should treat the rest of the girls here at church like you do your sisters. I don't mean pick at them and get in a fight with them. But I'm talking about being respectful. Being respectful and treating them like ladies. They're not, they're not for you to chase. They're not for you to target. And if somebody gets onto your son or your daughter for misbehaving, why are you getting all bent out of shape? Don't you think they care? But look in verse 4 and 8. We're done. You teach them respect. You teach them restraint. It's not all about them. And you teach them responsibility. Verse 4 says, But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. All of verse 4 is about responsibility. My personal responsibility, if I were a widow, if I were a widow, then I need to learn first to show piety at home, and I need to show respect at home, and I need to also get engaged in the ministry and be a blessing. But also, in our homes, if we have widows, we should be a blessing to them. That word piety, and requite their parents. It means you are taking care of them, and you're not expecting the government or the church to do your job. It's being responsible. Whatever the church does is extra. What you do is your responsibility. Amen. Amen. For your parents. God does not teach a welfare system like America has. I thank God for the concern that America has for the poor. We really do help the poor in America, and I'm grateful for that. We also know that it has promoted to some degree that some people stay poor. It's a mentality. Responsibility. But in verse 8, he says, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So we're talking about you teaching at home respect and some restraint and some responsibility financially for your family. Ladies, teenagers, and kids. This is a fact. There is a shortage of good men in this day and hour. Therefore, I'm going to encourage you, let's don't kill the ones that we have. Instead... You probably might have given a gift today to your father, but how about giving some gifts on Father's Day that keep on giving? Like encouragement. Like cooperation. And like appreciation and submission. And to the men, I encourage you. If you want your church to go forward, you're going to have to show yourself to be a man. And ask God to help you to have the courage. And ladies... I encourage you, give your men a chance to lead. Pray for them. Pray for them and support them and help them in these areas. May God bless East River Baptist Church. And may we continue to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we not be ashamed of masculinity. 
And may we not diminish a woman being feminine. And may we promote godliness in all areas. For Christ's sake, let's stand together.